Chats from the Blog Cabin. Your favorite podcast is here. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin. You know, the show where I invite people virtually into the blog cabin to chat about life. And today we're chatting about aging parents, especially if you are, uh, my mom is a lot older now, so I understand what and how to approach them as far as not treating them like a child. And I have Amory Cameron O'Rourke on, and she's a nationally known pioneer and advocate for senior care in the U.S. And so, Amy, thank you for coming on and before we get started talking about senior care and everything else, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm, I volunteered in a nursing home when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. I worked at a girls club and we'd bring the kids over to the nursing home. And I really, really loved the environment. I loved the residents. I loved how open they were, how grateful they were. And I, really never did anything else. I So my background, I became a, a big re- retirement center administrator. I did that for nine years. And I realized that I wanted to work with older adults and their families directly. I did not want to manage a building. So I started my own company, um, an advocacy company caring um, for older adults and their families. And I did that for 20 years. I sold it and I wrote a book. Uh, the book's The Fragile Years, and it's the book that has all the inside intelligence for adult children with aging parents. Um, I just consider myself one of those people that was blessed to know at a very young age where I wanted to be working and who I wanted to be working with. Uh, I was also an activity director for nine years, too. I think we might have lost Yeah, yeah. So I'm located here in Orlando, Florida. Um, Two rescue dogs and a fabulous husband. I love that. So let's talk about how we approach our aging parents. Because a lot of times you see a lot of the kids take on the role as the parent and start treating their parent as a child. And that is like a no-no, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a term out there that I have come to really dislike, and that's the term role reversal. And I I don't use that because we never really reverse the roles. We don't become a parent to our parents. And But I will tell you that having been a daughter with an aging father, um, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, and we all act differently under stress. And a common theme in that stress is to try to control what the parent's doing. It's very natural. We'll try to get them to go faster than they're ready to go. And so the easy kind of trap to fall into is, mom, do this, mom, do that. And understandable as it is, that has a very short life. But if you can get in touch with your own anxiety 
in your own, like be self-aware enough to know, all right, I got to step back here. I got to take a deep breath. I got to go slower. And what I'm really trying to do is develop some interdependent relationship with my mom or dad, not a, a dependent one. And that just as it is, you know, learning the skill of having a 13 year old daughter, you, you have to figure out how to do it. And it's the same with an aging parent. You don't just hit that time of life and instantly know how to do it. There are tools and techniques and strategies to be better at it. Just as you had to learn how to manage your 13 year old daughter or your two year old son. So what are some of the strategies and techniques that you ask that you kind of suggest for people to do? One of the, and this is really, really valuable, the quality of good listening, like really, really listen to your parents. And sometimes they will be talking about something like a friend of theirs that went into the hospital. And so listen for those openings and then learn to ask questions that involve a long response. Like, how is that? How does that feel? Like, you know, you have your friend Walter that got admitted with a knee replacement and he died in the hospital. How does that like ask open ended questions just to listen, to create an environment where you're learning how, where they are emotionally and psychologically to help you know or create a safe place for them to then ask another question, which would be not, mom, have you ever thought about moving to assisted living? Like, so the next step is take small, small bites, not the big leap to care, not the big leap to assisted living, but, um, you know, maybe help with housekeeping once a month, small, small doses. Um, but, and then the other technique I would say employ is get to know all the people in their world. You know, if they live across the country, take the time to go for three days and just be in their world with them. Who brings the mail in? Who takes them to the temple for service? Who drops off groceries? Um, or maybe they don't have anybody. Mm -hmm. um, who's the nice nurse practitioner at the doctor's office? Like get to know the people in their world and let them get to know you. So that way, if there's ever a question and where you can't be there, especially if you live across the country, like you said, that at least, you know, there's somebody there that you can depend on to kind of check in on mom and dad if they need to check in from time to time. That's right. That's right. And the other, I had this experience where a daughter came in to see her mom and when the daughter left the room, the mother said, I think my daughter thinks I'm gonna die. Because she's never visited before. And it really taught me something like, so if you're calling or periodically coming and showing up, it doesn't have an unintended consequence to show up when you've never been there of, mm -hmm. they, they think I'm going to die or some other, you know, random irrational thought. Yeah. So how do we navigate this with patients? Cause you know that there's a lot of times you're, you, when you're thinking about your aging parent, you're thinking about, you know, of course, 
it, they're eventually going to die. But you don't, your emotions are high because you're thinking about what you're losing, but you don't think about what they're losing as well, because they're losing, if you start treating them like a child, they're losing their dignity. Yeah, it's really an insightful observation, Melissa. It's really insightful. So I go back to recommending that children buy that book by Dr. Kubler-Ross on the stages of grief. And it is, it is a loss and it's an ongoing loss when you watch your parent go from a, you know, strong, clear-minded, well-functioning and watching them decline, watching them slow down, watching their shoulders become stooped. It's painful. Like it's, it's really hard. And you could be in, in the anger stage of grief and they could be in the depressed stage of grief because they're losing, they're losing their independence. They're losing uh, the creation of new memories. They're losing the ability to maybe get around, losing that sense of autonomy. So you could be colliding in your own stages of grief. And when, and depression is kind of a natural stage of grief. So they don't want to do anything and you're angry and you're like, go, go, go. And they're, you know, they don't want to get out of their chair and they want to start sleeping in their chair in the living room, watching TV. And you don't know why they're not going to the bed. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's um, kind of understanding that with loss, there's grief and, and unsupported emotion. And by unsupported, people have all kinds of ways to cope with their own anxiety or sadness, whether it's calling a friend, whether it's going to a yoga class, whether it's walking the dog, going to deliver meals, whatever, whatever you do to help, uh, I say cap off your emotion, like it's natural to be really frustrated and really angry, but you know, yelling at your parent usually doesn't help you feel better. It makes you feel worse. Mm -hmm. um, I remember my dad called me, I think on the 20th time to fix his remote. It was, and I'm working, I'm running a business and I lashed out at him. And then the minute I did it and saw the look on his face, I, I'll never forget it. And then we had a funny little moment when I came back and apologized. He said, you know, you were really snippy with me. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I said I was, and I'll never forget that, that moment, but I should have capped off with somebody else. I should have called a friend of mine and said, I'm about to lose it. My dad has called me 20 times about the stupid remote. Um, but find your own technique for letting some of those emotions get out before you go back in, take a deep breath and help your parent and do something small. I love that. Now we're going to take a brief commercial break and then we'll be right back. Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Chats from the blog cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Hi, my name is Joanna, and I would like to share with you a little bit about Shores of Grace, Shores Philly. It's a ministry located in Philadelphia. 
The portion of shores that I volunteer for goes into Kensington, an area greatly impacted by homelessness and addiction. And we go and we take love, food, clothing, snacks, conversation. Um, we believe that it is a way that we can meet people right where they are and show them the love of Jesus. Uh, we have seen lives changed in big ways and in small ways. And we have built wonderful relationships with the people in the community. Uh, we have big plans, more we'd like to do. Um, and we would appreciate any support, either through prayer or through donation. If you would like to donate, you can go to shoresofgrace.com and in the menu, click on donate. And we just ask that you put Philly in your donation comments. Thank you. And we are back. Now, we were just talking, Amy, about how you should have called a friend instead of popping off on your dad. So that's very important that you build a support team to help you deal with and navigate with issues with the aging parent as well, correct? It's very, very true. So um, I think one of the most important stages in helping your parents is do exactly what you said, have a, have a team. And your team is made up of an attorney, a financial person, someone at the doctor's office, somebody from an organization that they might belong to, whether it's a church or a temple or a senior center, somewhere, someone at an organization, friends that have been through it. Don't, don't call. If you call somebody that's not been through it, they don't really understand. So you have to find out who has cared for or is caring for an older parent themselves. And then Sometimes parents really aren't ready to accept help at all. You've tried everything. You've even hired a professional. You know, you've hired a care manager to go in and, and they're not going to do anything. Well, then what you can do is you get that support team ready for when the event occurs. And then you can let go and let the crisis happen. And sometimes that's all you can do. There is going to be a crisis. There almost always is with an older adult who is in the fragile years. That is so true. Um, in 2014, in 2015, actually, 2014 was when my dad started going, his de decline. Um, but he actually had everything in place ahead of time because he was always been the super planner. I mean, he had insurance upon insurance upon insurance, but he actually had planned out his whole funeral and did not, my mom, all she had to do was go through the motions. So you've got to think about also too, like if you have, uh, aging parents that have been together forever because my parents would have been married 55 years by the time my dad had died. But the one that's left behind to trying to navigate that with the, with the husband or the spouse. It's true. And the other, the other side benefit to this whole experience, if you have children and you're taking care of your parents, you know, you're always teaching your kids something and your kids are watching you. And so you have the side benefit of by role modeling how to take care of your parents, that value. But then also, do you have your own things in order? And that feeling of what you, what you don't want your children to experience. I've had countless children say, this made me get my act together. This made me get my stuff together. This opened up a conversation with my parents. I helped a gentleman with his mother and 10 years later I met with them as a couple 
and we had our first family meeting with their children. Wow. And, and nothing's really gone wrong, but they've just created this way that they're going to enter uh, their last quarter of life with their kids. And um, I think it's rare, but I think it's going to become less rare over time the more adult children see how they want to experience this time of life and what they want their kids to do. It's going to be a more open conversation, I anticipate. So how do you handle that conversation of making sure that your number one, your kids probably don't want you don't want to talk about your death because they don't want to face, you know, having you, you be gone. And then number two, the parent doesn't want to talk about it because they don't want to face the reality that they will be gone as well. So how do you handle that conversation? How do you approach that conversation so that we know where all the, you know, safety deposit box, all the insurance policies, the bank account, all this other information that you're going to have to need later on after your parent passes away. How do you go about approaching that conversation? Yeah. Awkward as it is, it's just awkward, especially the first time. So given that, you know, some personalities, you're not going to be able to have that first conversation. And I tell people that all the time to have a chance for success I recommend posing some circumstances and asking the parent how they'd want you to handle it. Mm. You know, I'm, you know, as a daughter, for example, dad, I'm thinking about if you land in the hospital, do you want me to take care of the dog? Mm. Do you, is there anything in the house like plants that need to be watered? Have you changed the keys recently? Is there anything? They go, no, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I know. It's it's uncomfortable. Acknowledge this uncomfortable. But the last thing I'd want to do, and this is a good piece of information, hospitals are required to do extreme measures in the absence of a decision maker. Mm-hmm. That That's just what happens. But rather than use fright, just say, I want to be the best advocate for you possible teach me how you want me to be you want me to leave you alone you want me to like and then listen to what they're saying you can also say what could i do that would really upset you tell me tell me decisions or things that i would do that you'd really be mad at so i don't do that Oh, I love that. Now, what happens when you have siblings involved? Because sometimes, like you were saying, that you took care of your, and I don't know if you have siblings or not, but you took care of your dad where you have siblings involved and there's fighting within the siblings. So who's going to take care of mom? Who's going to take care of dad? How they're going to navigate, you know, and you know, siblings can get, it can get kind of rough because I have, (laughs) I have three older sisters. One's not with me anymore, but the other two, I know when my mom finally goes, there's going to be a, a fight with the one sister. I just know it's going to happen. I'm already bracing myself. But how do you navigate, you know, the siblings as well? Well, there's six in our family. So I'm one of six. So I have a very intimate knowledge of those dynamics. And under high emotions, even the most functional of families have problems. It, it is people don't always behave well when they're hurting. Um, 
baseline, you want to know who's got the authority, who who's has mom designate anybody as her power of attorney or healthcare decision maker? Who is that person? Um, sometimes hiring an outside party to help educate rather than you be the educator. So there are care managers like me all across the country. And sometimes we frame the environment upon which decisions need to be made. Um, I recommend a, an agreed upon way of communicating, you know, um, saying, you know, I'm going to communicate weekly by email. I'm going to send out an update email. I'm going to update you by phone, whatever that is, just establish a way that information will be relayed so that you're not cringing every time the phone's ringing. Oh my God, my sister's mm -hmm. calling from mm -hmm. common challenge is the long distance child has their own stress about not being there and they will Monday morning quarterback the one that's there. It's a really normal and kind of a common dynamic. So agreeing who's going to do what and maybe the long distance person can handle send, having groceries ordered and delivered. Mm -hmm. you know, kind of doing some things that you can do long distance, giving them something to do. Um, and then setting up FaceTime with mom, with, with mom or dad, like with the person that's not living there mm -hmm. so that they feel like they're connected to them in this time of life. Well, that's a really some great, great advice. Now, what do you say to the children that are turning into caregivers for their parents you know they're they're probably having kids of their own and now they're having to deal with you know navigating things around and the stresses that come with caring for their parents they're so tired they are so tired and you know when you're when you're at when you're ending your life it's a natural thing to pull inward some people say oh you know old people get so selfish it's not so much selfish sometimes it is but when you're leaving the world, you're, you, you are becoming disinterested in what's going on. So mm -hmm. it's a natural thing. Well, then if you're caring for your parents and they don't care that you've had a long day, it, it, it hurts because you want them to appreciate you. Um, I think that having a days off, I think are important. I think hiring outside caregivers to or going out to an adult daycare or somehow having respite care working seven days a week every day with no time off is illegal in most states. And so you should take that as a caregiver that it's not healthy. It's a hard thing to do. I think taking vacations twice a year at a minimum are really important if you're wanting to sustain your emotional well-being. If finances are challenging, I would get an outside party in to help you figure out what public benefits you can pull from. Can you pull money from an equity in the house? Find some way to get support from outside caregiving. Even if you think finances are a problem, keep seeking help. So where do you find people? I know you're a care manager, but where do you find people to help you find out what benefits? Because that's a whole nother, the insurance and everything else is a whole nother thing that a lot of people just don't understand. It's hard to navigate. 
It is. I would put in the website aginglifecare.org. You put that in your chat box for your listeners, readers, aginglifecare.org. You put in the zip code that you um, live in and a bunch of care managers should pop up and pay for a couple hours just to learn. And sometimes you just hire them to tell you the roadmap and you do it yourself. Sometimes you think I'm so tired, I'm going to have you do all of it. Um, you know, we're able to cut down a lot of the stress just from all the hunting around for accurate information on the internet. And that brings me to another um, question because you were talking about the benefits and the financial. Now, I know there's a lot of states that before Medicaid will even kick in, or is it Medicare or Medicaid? I always get the two confused. But they, before they kick in, they will take everything that the person owns before, like if they have to go into nursing home care or something like that. They would take everything that a person owns before they would let any of the other benefits fall through. So what are your suggestions on that? A care manager can help with that. And we could probably do a, a session on that alone mm -hmm. because, um, yes, the asset limit is 2000 or less. Yes, there's an income limit, but there's also ways to access public benefits and preserve some of your assets so that you don't run out before you die. Mm -hmm. And um, and I'm not advocating for a millionaire to file for Medicaid. I don't, you know, I don't come from that school. But you know, when there's a couple and all they have between the two of them is a hundred thousand dollars, and it costs ten thousand dollars to get care, you you need to access public benefits and preserve some for yourself so you don't become impoverished. And I think that's an important. Uh, learning to occur with families in addition to veterans benefits that are out there. I know one of my, a couple of my friends have actually gone through and their parents are in the, they're, you know, they're a lot older and they've actually went ahead and turned the deed trust over to their children of their houses and stuff like that. So that way Medicaid won't have to touch it. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, I had a client years ago and there's different circumstances. You know, I, I'm, I believe in taxes and I believe in paying your way. And I also believe in, in, in being prudent and not impoverishing where it's unnecessary. And, and when you're in a skilled nursing facility and you're in a nursing home, sometimes you need to hire caregivers. There has to be money to hire caregivers in the nursing home because they're not that st staff that mm -hmm. uh, bustly. Um, so I, 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 I think everybody should have the conversation and then implement whatever meets your own values. I love that. Now, there's a couple of other different things, too, that we talked about. Um, but I'm going to circle back. I just lost my train of thought. And that's, that hardly ever happens. But because you've laid so much on me. And I think it applies a lot to me because my mom is, like I said, she's in her 80s now. She's going to the point where she's starting to slow down. And we knew at that point, once my dad started slowing down, that it was over for him, you know, because he was like, he's go, go, go all the time. So right. how do you get them to accept that their life is slowing down and that maybe they shouldn't drive? Because that's a huge thing. You know, I got my car keys. I'm going to drive. You know, no, yeah, they didn't take my license away. Maybe you shouldn't drive, especially on the highway. Maybe you shouldn't be driving like 35 miles an hour on a 75 mile an hour drive. A highway. Right. 
Right, right. So I think about, you know, if you're married and, you know, when you, you, you tell your husband something, you told him 10 times and then a friend of yours says it and they do it. And you're like, I've been telling you that over and over and over. So think of that same example as with your parents, like look around and see who do they listen to? Mm. Who, who do they really respond and listen to? And, and maybe it's a sibling that you think, oh, they favored them anyway. Well, let your sibling give them the bad news. You know, maybe, maybe the doctor will recommend that they, maybe they get assessed for their driving ability. There's companies out there that will take them out and say, yeah, they can drive. They can't drive. I had one guy get evaluated and they said, just don't drive at night. You're okay, but you're not going to be okay at night. So, you know, find somebody that they've listened to. Uh, some states have a, and we're talking about driving, but some states have uh, where you can anonymously report someone's to be to be assessed for their uh, license, and they have mm-hmm. to show up at the driver's license office. That'd probably be the last strategy I would employ. But there again, I see where I'd like to see where the parents think they are. Mm-hmm. And then ask them how it feels. Like if you got a guy that says, I'm going to go up on my ladder and I'm going to change that light bulb. And you say, mm-hmm. um, what stops you from asking Joe, your neighbor, to do that? What What is that? Like yeah. instead of trying to get them to behave differently, go into their heads and see what are they thinking. Yeah, because a lot of times they don't think about the consequences. They just think, I need it done now, and I'm not waiting, because they're very impatient. They're impatient, and they're also, and it's not like, it's like any of us. I, I have a bad back, and, you know, I I can tell my, my mind will say, this one time won't hurt. I can get away with lifting this box. I can. So if you think about yourself and where you try to, gamble with your physical abilities and then think about your parents having some empathy goes a long way and then say what would happen to you if i offered to get up on the ladder would you just like blow a gasket on me <laughs> you know? oh, wow yeah i love that i'm trying to there's another thing that you was in the talking points that or the list that was sent over by your publicist and talks about the 72 hour visit con- concept. Can you talk more about that? Oh, I love this. I love this. So there's a geriatrician. Um, he's no longer with us, but he wrote a book called my mother, your mother. And for you who are listening out there buy that book, it's lovely. It's lovely. And he talks about the Dr. Dennis McCullough is who wrote it. He talks about the 72 hour visit. And even if they live in town, go stay with them for three days. And your goal is not to do anything, but just to be there. Turn your phone off, turn your computer off and be with them. And emotionally filter through all, how are they eating? How are they preparing food? How are they watching TV? Do they turn it up? Do they turn it down? Do they manage the air conditioning? How how are they doing? How is their mood? And that, and if there's no goal, all your parent has to do is just experience your presence. 
And there's nothing quite like that time. I did those with my dad and I, I learned a lot. I could see his dementia coming on. I could see way ahead of, way ahead of his wife. Um, it was remarkable coming in from the outside and spending time I could, and she couldn't see it. So it just helped me kind of get myself set into this new lifestyle that I was going to be entering into with him. Now you just brought up the dementia. That's a whole nother layer. I mean, that comes on with your parent. I mean, it's one thing when your parent is aging and has a few health problems, but when you add dementia or Alzheimer's on top of everything else, it seems to be a greater stressor for the kids as well. But it's funny you said that I find dementia easier than if they're alert and they have bad judgment. If they're alert and they have bad judgment, I find that a harder, because if they have capacity, you're going to watch. When they have dementia, you just need to learn about dementia. And there's lots of good books out there. I like the 36 hour day. It's old, it's valuable. There's lots of good tips in there, but, you know, take some classes in dementia awareness and learn tips and skills with managing dementia because you can, you can, and I'm going to say this word, knowing what I'm saying, you can manipulate a little bit easier when there's a memory lapse and maintain their dignity and their autonomy and um, love them, but you become their memory safety net. Um, the, the repetition gets old and gets fatiguing. You know, what are we having for dinner? What are we having for dinner? What are we having for dinner? You know, over and over and over that gets old and gets taxing saying the same thing over and over and over. But there again, if you're getting a break, if you're taking a break, if you're getting respite, if you're having friends come over to help you, that helps you sustain. But in a lot of ways, once they lose their memory, it's hard to watch them go and not leave the world. But um, it makes it makes it easier to get them help to me. Because I would, the part that I was thinking about when I mentioned that was that when they become very combative, like they don't know who you are and they're like, you know, I don't know who you are. Why are you telling me to do this? Or why are you even showing up? And that part, has, not only has got to hurt the child because the parent doesn't recognize them, but then not seeing, seeing that they're trying to come at it from a good place as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there again, if there are um, education for uh, approaches that will de-escalate, you know, sometimes what we would normally do with someone that's combative won't work with somebody with dementia, you know, not arguing with them, validating where they are, if they're hallucinating, acknowledging the hallucination, acknowledge the person that was there that was threatening to murder their doll. You know, there's ways that you can navigate that with specific help. Yes, it's stressful. You know, maybe a resort for a temporary period of time is getting a neurologist or a geriatric psychiatrist to recommend something that might take the edges off so it's not quite so uh, dramatic. But I'm glad you brought that back up. Thank you. Um, so what would you suggest the first thing for a kid to approach their parents again? So I know because this is the most important thing is, is, is the initial approach. Because if you approach it, like mom, you need to do this, this, and this, or dad, you need to, they're going to shut down. They're going to be, dig their feet in and become stubborn. So what, once again, reiterate what the initial um, approach should be. 
I would say, mom or dad, I'm, I'm beginning to worry a little about what I would do or what you'd want me to do if something were to happen to you. It's, it's on my mind. And I, I want to just ask you if I can bring that up and have a little conversation just, just to get a few worries off my mind. So basically come at in the approach that the child really needs kind of alleviation of their fears because that, yep. that plays on their need of being a parent as well. Right. Right. And if, if we could get some things together in case of an emergency, not that I'm going to use it now, parent, most parents will understand that. Like, I don't, I don't mean to imply we're doing anything right now, but in case of an emergency, I don't want to be running around last minute trying to work full time, take care of my kids and help you if you've fallen and broken your hip. So I want to be really prepared for you. And what do you say to those that their parents are like, no, we're not going to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. Like they want to bury their heads in the sand like an ostrich. You're going to say, I hear you and I might bring it up again, but I hear you and I, I don't want to cause uh, a rift or get you mad at me. I'll probably bring it up again, but just, just so you know, I'm thinking about it. Okay. So basically you just stop, let the parents have their space and then bring it up later on. Cause that may, they may have been having a bad day. Yeah. Like we all do. Yep. Yep. Don't okay. give up. It's, it's really, you're, 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 Stepping into a lifestyle and one conversation about anything is it's, it's going to be several conversations, lots. So you're going to lower your expectations and say, I'm in here for the long haul. I'm going to take tiny bite sized tiny conversations, tiny little nuggets um, out of anxiety. We want the conversation and we want to get it fixed right now because we got 20 other things we need to get wrapped up. And it's never like that. That brings me to another point. Um, sometimes we need to give our parents the undivided attention like they used to give us as children. And how do you say we approach that as well? Because sometimes they're like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Go away, get away. What are you doing? Why are you, why are you in my refrigerator? You know, all this stuff, you know, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I do, I do, I do. Well, you know, you wanna be respectful so if you come in and you're checking the refrigerator and you're checking the thermostat and you're checking on things, they can feel you checking up on them. So if you really are doing stuff to check up on them and they're mad, that's kind of a natural response. So if I go back to, you know, you bring a book and you just, I'm just going to put my feet up and hang out here for a little bit. You say, what are you doing here? I'm, I'm reading. <laughs> Why are you reading? Don't you have a home? <laughs> I'm going to watch Jeopardy with you. That's what I did with my dad. I watched, we watched Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. And you brought up another thing earlier about the pets because a lot of seniors and parents have pets as companions. So, and a lot of them are worried about their pets when something happens to them. Cause you see a lot, a lot of times under died, have to give up these pets. So let's talk about navigating that. Listen, that bond, and I'm a dog owner, so don't get me started. The, the, the pet is critical. And whatever you can do to preserve that relationship, can they bring the cat to the facility? Can you get a caregiver that likes dogs? Can you hire a dog walker? Whatever you need to do to maintain that relationship 
It is a bond that if they have it, you want to do everything in your power to keep that bond. It's so true because that is a bond. It's like another child for them. It's another child. And it also gives them out of themselves. It gives them a sense of purpose. Um, And, you know, we've had clients move into facilities and we only looked at facilities that they could bring their dog. Mm -hmm. And then when they couldn't bring their dog, I actually had this caregiver that adopted the dog and then would bring the dog in for visitation. Like find a way because that is something that's just like any other thing that's important to them. If it's art, if it's music, if it's a dog, those things have emotional meaning and it's uplifting, woodworking, whatever those things are, find a way to keep that around them. Maybe they don't woodwork, but maybe they can watch a woodworking show with you. That brings me to another thought that just popped in my head is how do you get them to separate from their possessions when they have to go into a home? Because, you know, they want other things around them. And sometimes they can't bring their whole house into a small little confined room or or assisted living apartment. So how do you, you navigate that with them? You know, I have to tell you, you're asking really wonderful questions and anybody that's listening is going to be learning a lot. And I really respect the depth of your questions. So thank you for that. Moving and leaving your possessions is huge. And I like to do it in stages. You know, maybe maybe they want to move into a two bedroom and maybe they agree to move into a one bedroom. And maybe we put things in storage for them to go, you know, maybe we get a pod and maybe, you know, you think they're never going to be able to bring all this and let's just go ahead and give it away. But if you can, if you can postpone the harshness of everything all at once, if there's any way to do that, let them come back and do they pick the right dresser? Do they pick the right lamp? Do they want to exchange out a picture? Um, so making it a more gradual process is often um, softens the blow. Because I know a lot of people, especially you see on a lot of TV shows a lot, oh, we're moving them in the home. You can only take X, Y, and Z amount. And then they're like, morning, not only the loss of their life, but the loss of the life they built and the things that they obtained during that life. And that's got to be right. like a double whammy for them. It is. And the other thing I've seen people do is they'll take pictures of some of the really meaningful pieces of furniture that have a story behind them. And they made like a little book, a little scrapbook, and they can show people, this is the first table I had when I first got married. And this is the rocker that I rocked my first born in. And, and so they still have that physical thing that they can talk about with other people is often helpful. I love that idea of a scrapbook. Would you suggest having a scrapbook for maybe um, children as well, especially for dementia people? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Pictures, pictures, pictures. There's so much you can do on the Internet, too, with going back to where their house was and wherever they were born and like um, the museums that maybe they love into, you can do a lot of that, but absolutely pictures and then labeling the pictures. You know, this is daughter Mary, this is grandchild Evie, this is, you know, making it real specific is very helpful. That brought me to a thought. That would be something that you could possibly do with the 
grandchildren and the grandparents do it with the grandchildren so they can learn a little bit about their history. Because I remember my dad was the big storyteller in the history. He helped the family history and he told a lot of the family history. He passed it down to us four girls, but the other his other siblings didn't pass it down to their um, kids. So when my dad passed away, we were talking about his brothers that were younger. They were like two years old when they passed away. And they're like, they had, they had two brothers that passed away. I'm like, yeah. And they were buried with my great grandmother's two kids that passed away as well. And they're like, whoa, what? You know, cause they didn't know, but my dad knew that. So that would be a way to get the grandchildren still involved because most of the time grand grandparents are the, children grandchildren only see grandparents like oh birthday card money oh five dollars or whatever you know so that way it gives a chance to, for them to bond so they don't miss them when they're gone it's really true and i've seen a lot of people do really creative things with videos and having a grandchild have questions that they ask the grandparent the grandparent answers the question um i've seen grandchildren uh put on shows um that that the grandparent can watch um, I've had them listen to music together. This is a song from the grandchild's life, and this is a song from the grandfather's life. So there is a lot that can be done to put those two generations together. I love that. So our time is almost up. Do you have one little nugget that you want to leave us with? I do. I do. I, I think of being with your parent as really as a form of meditation because you have to really move slower, talk slower. You really have to move all the outside noise out away and really be with them. So it can be a lot more meaningful for you as a, as a, as a daughter or a son, but also to kind of experience the world in a more quiet way because you have to. Um, and that helps frame, you know, I, I got off a bunch of boards and just eliminated a lot of things because I knew I was going to have to really devote this time to my dad. And I know to do that. And I knew to do that. I probably could have let go of more, but that's really what I would want the children to just change your lifestyle around so you don't miss this time with your mom or your dad. I love that. Now tell people where they can find you at. They can find me on agingexpert.com. You can buy the book, The Fragile Years on amazon.com. And uh, it's just been such a pleasure, Melissa. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And yes, if you, anytime you want to come back and share about this topic, I think, I only think we scratched the surface on it, correct? I think you're right. I think you're right. So we'll look forward to meeting you again. All right, guys. Um, Amy, I want to thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today about aging parents, because that's something we all face. Um, I'll drop all the stuff that she talked about, even the books that she talked about in the show notes. So that way, if you want a resource, you can go to that. And I'll draw, also drop her um, website and stuff in there as well. Once again, Amy, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank on. you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, guys. As always, be blessed. And most importantly, keep chatting. Chats from the blog cabin.
We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode. 